I'm Donica Contour, and this is Naptime Devotionals, Episode 7, May Christ Lift Thee Up, Studying Moroni, Chapters 7 through 9. Welcome to Naptime Devotionals, a Come Follow Me study for busy moms. I'm Donica Contour, your host. I'm a mom of four kids, wife of a high school theater teacher, and my favorite show to binge watch is Murder, She Wrote. Guys, it's December. Can you believe that? Who has Christmas stuff up? I We've had some Christmas stuff up since the second Sunday of November. Not going to lie. We put it up a while ago. I needed twinkle lights and the Christmas tree. We didn't have any decorations. It was just we have a pre-lit Christmas tree. And so we have all the lights from our previous Christmas trees that were not pre-lit. Um, and we just hang them up in our front room and it adds really nice ambiance. And um, we had that around for a while because 2020 has been crazy and I needed twinkle lights to make it through the rest of this year. Okay, so we're looking at um, these chapters in Moroni. We're getting really, really close to the end of the Book of Mormon. Um and we're learning some really interesting stuff here, you guys. Also, heads up, lots of definitions in this podcast. Lots of OED references. If you don't know what the OED is, it is the Oxford English Dictionary. And I am a nerd enough to have a favorite dictionary, and the Oxford English Dictionary is my favorite. I prefer the way that they define things. Anyway, so... Let's look at chapter 7, verses 32 and 33, um, looking at the character of God, the character of Christ. What are we learning here? Um, And I think the thing that I really loved here was that God has prepared a way for everyone to have the opportunity to find faith in Christ. Mormon says, um, the residue of man Okay, like the residue of men. Residue, as defined by the OED that I just mentioned, is a small amount of something that remains after the main part has gone, been taken, or used. And so, like, it's such an interesting word choice here, right? The residue of man. Like, the people, the small little bit of people that still remain after the vast majority of people have left. This is not the majority that we are talking about anymore. And still, um, we, Heavenly Father has made sure that the opportunity to find faith in Christ is available to them. And I just love that. Um, I just kept thinking about how, you know, I think we always hear this thing about how, you know, Heavenly Father um, would have sent Christ And Christ would have died even for one person. If, you know, you were the one person that was ever going to use planet Earth, there was only ever going to be one, and it was going to be you, he, everything, it still would have happened. It all still would have happened. Christ still would have gone through everything for you. He still would have gone through um, the necessary um, pains and hurt and growth necessary to do the atonement. Um, Heavenly Father still would have gone through the work that it took to build the earth and make it a habitable planet, all of that still would have happened because it, every single one of us is that important. And I just love that. Um, my husband and I had kind of a funny, 
um, experience in church a couple of weeks ago. We sat in a place that we don't normally sit just because with social distancing and every other row and all this stuff, the row that we usually sit in was sat in by a different family. Um, and so we were trying to figure out like, oh, well, let's just sit here. And it was kind of different. And the priesthood kids, the deacons that are passing the pre the sacrament, he passed us the bread just fine. And then the water kind of came and went and they kind of like they passed to half of the row and then just kind of disappeared. And <laughs> we didn't, we didn't get any. And my husband and I just kind of looked at each other like, oh, I guess we just don't get any. And I happened to catch the, um, the eye of one of the bishopric members and he like looked at me and I made the water sign. Like I'd like it's like the drinking sign with my hand, right? Like I'm drinking a cup, right? And he's like, did you not get the water? Like, you know, he pulls his mask down to math to mouth at me. Did you not get the water? And I was like, no. And so he goes over and tells a deacon, one of them brings it over. But I was just thinking about that, um, that even if it was just one of us, it was still so important. He still would have gone through all of it. So that's kind of what I gleaned from those um, verses. So here's another thing I want to talk about. There's only kind of like two main verses, well, that two main section of verses, I suppose, that I really wanted to talk about when it comes to the character of God in Christ um, in these chapters. And um, the other one is chapter 8, verse 8. And I feel like it's important to point out that um, Christ absolutely 100% came to this earth with love for all of us. But he didn't just come to spread love. He came with a very specific purpose. And he says what it is right here, right? Behold, I came into the world not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole need no physician, but they that are sick, right? And here he's specifically talking about the baptism of little children and how it's unnecessary because the little children are whole, right? It's the rest of us. <laughs> it's all of us adults, you know, all of us that are older, um, that need, that need the help. I don't know if you can hear my cat meowing. She's saying hello, everybody. Um, and, and, but I was just thinking about that, how I think, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later with the second part, but I think sometimes we get stuck in this, especially these days. And I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, well, if you're a Christian, you know, God, Jesus preached love and absolutely, he absolutely did. But he also was not this like peace and free love kind of guy. You know what I mean? He wasn't just like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. Love you. You're amazing. He does love you. You are amazing. But he also doesn't want you to just do whatever you want. He, he's like, if you want to be saved, you have to do these things. Right. Um, Anyway, and I think a lot of times we get kind of caught in that um, these days. I feel like that gets reiterated to people a lot. So the last thing I want to say in this section is um, one of the, there are three different talks that were um, recommended in addition to the study in the Come Follow Me. And one of them was The Hope of God's Light by Dieter F. Uchtdorf um, from the April 2013 General Conference. I cannot recommend enough listening to this, especially in the, um, insane 
show that has been 2020, go pause this podcast right now. Go look it up in your gospel library. Hope of God's Light by Elder Uchtdorf, April 2013. Like, it is so good. Everybody needs to listen to it, um, like, a million times. <laughs> it's, it's the one that's going to get us through the rest of this. Okay? So he says, Even after the darkest night, the Savior of the world will lead you to a gradual, sweet, and bright dawn that will assuredly rise within you. And this was the thing I, I immediately thought of um, Christ coming to visit the Nephites, right? They'd been in darkness, a darkness so thick and consuming that like even fire, like bright fire could not be seen because it was the darkness was like almost tangible. And I think of Christ coming and just like breaking this darkness and being like physically creating and being that light and how he can be that for us. Um, and, but again, we have to be, and then in the case with the Nephites, the ones who got to see Christ were the ones who were at the temple. They were the ones who were in the right place when all of the craziness and chaos went down and he did the next day come and back and teach everybody else. Um, but the people that got to have those initial first tender moments with him were the people who were in the right place. And I think it's important for us to, to do that. Okay. So let's talk about what we learned about the plan of salvation. Um, warning, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm a little out of order on this. Um, but I feel like he reiterates the same concepts. And so I'm just kind of organizing them Donica style a little bit here. Um, so in chapter seven, verse 15, we know it is given to us to judge that we may, that we may know good from evil. And then Mormon says the way to judge is plain. And then he gives a variety of examples. And this is kind of where we jump around because that's verse 15. Well, in verse five, um, he, he gives us, okay, hold on. Oh, my brain, you guys, it's a bag full of cats. Um, that's what happens when I'm pregnant. It's just what happens. Okay. In verse five, he, um, says that by their works, we shall know them. Right. In verse 11, he talks about the fountain, right? Bitter water cannot come or bitter water cannot come from a good fountain, just like good water cannot come from a bitter fountain. Um, in verse 13, this is, these are all in chapter seven, verse 13, he talks about what inviteth, inviteth to do good. Um, and then in verse 16, he talk about, he talks about what persuades you to believe in Christ. Ultimately, all of these verses come back to the same core message of by their works, ye shall know them. So yes, it is important for you to judge so you can know good from evil. And the way to judge is to look at the outcomes, right? What are the works? What are the fruits of these labors? Are they good things? Or are they bad things? If they're good things, then they come from Heavenly Father. If they're bad things, they don't come from Heavenly Father, right? Pretty, pretty simple. And then he does give us a warning in verse 18 with that same judgment which ye judge, shall ye also be judged. So I was thinking about this in terms of 
the plan of salvation, right? It's necessary for us to judge so that we can make good choices and be able to find our way back to Heavenly Father. But we're also warned that the way that we judge is how we're going to be judged. And so it's like, well, wait a minute, what happened to thou shalt not judge? And Anyway, so I was thinking about how do we judge without judging? <laughs> and this is what I came up with. This is 100% my understanding of how this works. There's a difference between trying to decide. So what we're being asked to do is decide if something, something is of God or Satan. So example, a music or music, a song comes on the radio um, and you can listen to the song and listen to the beat and the words. I highly recommend you listen to lyrics um, because that will tell you right away whether or not this is a song is something you want to keep in your life or if you want to remove it from your person, right? You're deciding, is this of God? Do I want to participate in this? Versus, right? That's the one that we want to do. Versus deciding if someone is following God or Satan. So someone who listens to a song that you decided not to listen to, okay? So we're looking at the difference between a judgment of an activity versus a judgment of a person. The judgment of activity is going to be useful and necessary to us. We have to judge activities and decide if that's going to be something we bring into our homes and our lives or if it's going to be something we're like, no thanks, right? Judgment of a person is not useful or necessary and that is where the warning comes in. How you judge is how you're going to be judged. So, um... Keeping that in mind, okay, let's move to, I'm going to touch, let's see, yeah, keeping that in mind, I'm going to touch on um, the next thing and we'll come back to judgment. In seven, in chapter seven, verse 34, um, where we know, we know that Christ loves us unconditionally. Back to this concept of the of the, the modern concept of Christ where he's all peace and free love. Um, we know he loves us unconditionally, but he will not save us unconditionally. Okay. We have to repent. We have to come unto him in terms of follow him in other terms to be baptized and to have faith in him, which we know is a verb. Faith is a verb in, in the gospel. Okay, that you have to do these things that ye may be saved. So does Christ love you whether you are baptized or not? Absolutely 100% he loves you. Can he save you if you are baptized or not? No, you have to make the choice to be baptized. You have to make the choice to follow him. And then you have to follow through the endure to the end part and continually make choices trying to be like Jesus, right? Okay, in um, 738, it reiterates the need for our active choices in order to be saved. Um, we have a gospel that is a gospel of action and change. In um, one of the other talks that they recommend, The Challenge to Become by Dallin H. Oaks from the October 2000 General Conference, he says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the plan by which we can become what the children of God are supposed to become. And become means begin to be. To be, verb. Okay? So this is an action. 
Um, he also says, to testify is to know and declare. The gospel challenges us to be converted, which requires us to do and become. Again, this is our active involvement is very, very necessary in the plan of salvation, right? Like you think about how the plan of salvation <clears throat> works and if it worked in the way that many people suggest that with this concept of the free love and, excuse me, free love and um, peace kind of concept of, modern concept of Christ, then the plan of salvation would essentially be the plan that Satan kind of suggested of, well, let's, instead of this concept of let's force them to be good, it was, it would almost be like, well, let's, let's just save them all no matter what they do. And that's not how it works either, right? It's important. It is necessary, which is why we have our agency. It is 100% necessary for us to make the active choice to choose Christ, to choose our Heavenly Father in order to be saved and have that opportunity to live with them again. Okay? So with all of commandments, we're also given instructions of how to accomplish tasks. In chapter 7, verse 47, we're told about the necessity of charity, right? The pure love of Christ. And so then we read this and we're like, okay, we need to have this. How do we do that? Well, in 48, we're told exactly how to acquire this love and how to put it into practice in our lives. Um, and then I love what Mormon says to Moroni in chapter 9, 25, chapter 9, verse 25, um, that essentially the point of ministering and the point of us doing the best that we can and trying to share the gospel as much as we can is not to be weighed down by the wickedness of mankind, but to be able to share and to be lifted up with the hope that is Christ, right? So last thing application, right? How do we, how do we take all of this and put it into our lives? Um, Uchtdorf in his talk share or said, it is a part of our condition as mortal beings to sometimes feel as though we are surrounded by darkness. That is like the <laughs> catchphrase of 2020. <clears throat> and so I was thinking it, it's very easy, I think, to be, to be consumed by all the dark heaviness that is the wickedness of humankind, right? And we should know that we do have access to, to this unconditional love from our Heavenly Father and from Christ. And we also should make the choices as best as we can, right, to strive to share that unconditional love with others. Um. And the one thing I wanted to kind of think about is in terms of judgment, right? We talk about the, the pure love of Christ. We talk about charity and how do we have this, this unconditional love for everyone that Christ has? How do we have that for other people? Go read verse 48 in chapter seven, and then ask yourself these two questions when it comes to judgment. Am I deciding if this is an activity I want to participate in? Or am I deciding if my worth is more or less than someone else's based on their choices? Because if you're 
answering the second question, if that's what you're trying to decide, then you have judgment of that person. Whereas if you're deciding whether or not it's an activity you want to participate in, that is a righteous kind of judgment. The last thing I want to end on is this quotation by Elder Oaks that says, instead of being judgmental about others, we should be concerned about ourselves. We must not give up hope. We must not stop striving. We are children of God, and it is possible for us to become what our Heavenly Father would have us become. Um, and I OED again, looked up striving. It means make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. Struggle or fight vigorously. It comes from the French root for the same word for strife, which is angry or bitter disagreements over fundamental issues. So you're going to struggle, but you're going to be happy about it. Name that movie. Um, ultimately, the point is, are you trying? Are you trying to follow our Savior? And if you are, then good job. And I will see you next week.